Sometimes when we talk about God's plan, it can be a bit like this. We're on this road, this journey through life. And God's plan seems to be at the end of the road. It's something that we're going to move into. It's something that's going to happen, that God's going to do something in us. He's going to reveal this plan to us and we're going to move into this plan. But at the moment, we've got this kind of roadblock of life. Whether it's finance, whether we're busy, whether it's work, whether it's family, health, stress, all these sorts of things. We want to serve God and we want to do what God wants us to do. But at the moment, life is just a bit busy. But here we see with Ananias, God had a plan for him today in amongst all of that stuff. Now, I'm 44 years old. Shocked and stunned, aren't you? Good man, well done. Are you going on holiday again soon, Neil? Now, to some of you, Ian, 44 might seem very young. Some of you, 44, might seem very, very old. But that's roughly, I'm guessing, hopefully, about halfway through, without being too morbid about it. And what I've seen from being halfway through is that life has lots of different stages and phases. I remember when we brought Daniel home from the hospital when he was first born. I firstly couldn't believe that the hospital would let us take a real live baby home for me and Claire to look after. But I was off work on paternity leave. Obviously, Claire was off work. And all we did for the first three days was look after this baby. We had time for nothing else. If it needed feeding, we'd feed him. Then, obviously, that produces other things at the other end that we'd have to do. Then we try, then it did, but it didn't stop at night. He was awake in the night as well. It seemed like he was awake for 24 hours for three straight days. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to go back to work? I'm far too busy. Obviously, Daniel eventually grew up. Sort of. He's probably more work now. But, but what you realise is that was just a phase. But actually, when you get into a, an, another phase of life, it's different. But it actually is just as busy. And whatever phase of life you go through, it seems to be just as busy. You seem to have as many stresses and strains and pressure. And my dad's retired, and he tells me he has no idea how he had time to go to work because he's that busy. Well, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it's another stage of life, and life seems busy. And so if we're thinking that we want to wait until all of the, this issue is resolved before we have time to work for God and fulfill God's plan, we're going to be waiting a really, really long time. If we wait until the time is perfect and the, and the situations around us seem right, then that doesn't work either. When I first started work, I was 19 when I started work, and I started work at Lloyd's Bank in Ludlow. Ludlow is a lovely little market town where nothing much happens. There's um, 14 staff in the branch when I joined. And to give you an idea, I was the first new member of staff they'd had for 10 years. Okay. Uh, most of the staff had been there about 25, some of them 30 years, and they were all really, really old. By that, I mean they were about 44 to 50. <laughs> but I remember it was my first job, and being 19, I was really excited, and I really wanted to serve God in my workplace, and I really wanted to be a good witness and tell people about the good news of Jesus. But it didn't work there, because they were all older than me, and I felt a bit uncomfortable, so I thought, well, I can't really be sharing giving them advice when I'm so much younger and they're all older than me. And so I wasn't a great witness. And then after about a year, I got moved to Cheltenham Branch. Cheltenham Branch at the time was one of Lloyds Bank's flagship branches. Uh, they just spent one and a half million pounds doing up the building. There was 125 staff there, most of them about my age. And I really wanted to serve God in my workplace. The issue was, because I was a management trainee, I got moved around department to department, so I never spent long with anybody. I never got time to build a relationship, and so 
I didn't feel comfortable, and so I wasn't a great witness. And then after not very long at that branch, um, I left the bank altogether, which is probably a blessing, really, for them more than me. But I left and I went to work somewhere else. And at this place, I worked, and there was me and one other bloke. And I really wanted to be a good witness in my workplace, but there was just me and him. And so it was a bit awkward, because if, you know, if we fell out, it would be a bit awkward. And so I wasn't a great witness. The truth is, I can make an excuse why I don't have to be a great witness everywhere I go. If I wait till life circumstances and situations are just right, it's never going to happen. Ananias was living his life knowing that Saul had come to Damascus to arrest people just like him. And he could have said, well, I'll be able to serve God once this issue has gone away. But the truth is, the cause of the pressure on Ananias' life, which was Saul being in Damascus, was the very reason that God wanted to call him and wanted to use him in that situation. Ananias could have sat there praying, God, I'll serve you once this issue has gone away. And he could have sat there and prayed all day, but actually God wanted Ananias to be the solution that was holding him back. God's plans and purposes are for today. Yes, God's got plans for you in the future. Yes, you're going to move into something as you grow and as we mature. But God has a plan for you to fulfill today, regardless of how busy you are, how old you are, what circumstances or situations in life that you find yourself. God has a plan for you today. And so how did Ananias cope with this plan? Well, at first, he's quite keen. God calls Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answers. Now, I think we'd all say that we'd like God to speak to us like that. And we'd be quite keen about it, wouldn't we? If we went around this room and said, as disciples of Jesus, would you like to know God's plan for your life? Absolutely, yes, we would. We're on for that. Would we like God to talk to us? Yes, we would. And Ananias is the same. Yes, Lord, he answers. He's quite keen about it until he finds out what God's plan actually is. See, God's plan for Ananias, well, it wasn't for him to leave and go into full-time ministry. It wasn't for him to go and speak, preach to thousands of people in a distant country. It wasn't to set up a pina colada beach mission in Barbados. I'm still waiting for the call on that one. What God called Ananias to be was to be part of God's solution for the city where he lived. That's what God called Ananias. And we know that what Ananias did there has far-reaching effects even to this day and age. But actually, God's plan for Ananias was to be the answer to the city where God had placed him. That's what God called Ananias to do. And Ananias at first isn't too keen about it. When God tells him what he wants to do, he says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Israel. It's interesting, Ananias' first response, his first objections and his moment of doubt is based on what he's heard and what other people and what other people have said and what other people have done. They were the first thing that held him back. Maybe Ananias is a bit more like us than we'd care to admit. How often are we held back from doing what we think we should do because of what some, we're worried about what someone might say or we're worried about what someone might do? It could have brought fear into his life. It could have caused hesitation, but it certainly caused Ananias to enter a moment of doubt. And then it goes on. It says, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest 
all who call on your name. I've highlighted the word too, because Ananias is now talking about what might happen in the future. He's worried about what people have said, people have done, but he's also worried about all the what-ifs. Ananias, in fairness, it's a, it's a fair objection to worry, and, and those things that he says that, 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 um, that could happen, that he's come here with authority to arrest the chief priest, yes, he had, and he could have arrested people and taken back to Jerusalem. We know that that never happened because God had a plan for Ananias. But Ananias is now thinking of all the what-ifs. Very often we're held back, aren't we? Because of what people might say, what people might do. Or if not that, we're very good at thinking of all the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if I do this and this happens? What if I do this and this happens? It caused hesitation. It caused a moment of doubt. And so... The story is kind of in the balance here now. Ananias was up for it. God's told him what he wants. And Ananias has these objections. And like I say, we can't be too hard on Ananias here because his objections were real and they were founded. And also, we have to remember that Ananias doesn't have the advantage of verses 1 to 9 and 18 to 19. We've got the full picture so we've got to be careful if we judge Ananias because Ananias is only seeing the circumstances and the situations and what he sees as the reality around him. And the reality that he sees around him says that this isn't really a good idea. But we know that God sees the full picture. Because we see the whole chapter, we see that God already has a plan. God already has a purpose and God has already prepared the way. Next time we doubt, next time we come out with all our what-ifs, we have to ask ourselves, are we seeing the full picture or are we just seeing what we're seeing with our physical eyes? Is there something more going on? And then the Bible kind of undersells it really, all that tension building up and it's answered in one little sentence. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Ananias decides that he's going to go with what God said. And I love how it says he went to the house and then he entered it. The way it says he went to the house, I have a picture of Ananias sort of getting to the house and then thinking, am I, aren't I? That point of no return. Have you ever been that point where God's asked you to do something and you stand on the point of no return and think, am I going to say, let me pray for you, or am I just going to say, I hope things all work out, all the best. That moment, that point of decision. What did it take? Well, it took faith and it took obedience. It took to Ananias to believe that God, what God said to him would have more value and carried more weight than what other people had said. It was believing that what God could do was greater than what anybody else could do. And it was ignoring those what-ifs and believing that actually God's plan and purpose would be fulfilled through him. But I sort of wonder, what was the process like? It doesn't tell us how far Ananias' house was from Straight Street in Damascus, whether it was just round the corner. But I was trying to imagine the conversation, Ananias is like me and... I'm in that situation, so I've got to go and see Saul of Tarsus. So I shout through the kitchen, I'm just popping out, love. No problem, where are you going? You know that bloke we were all talking about the other day? I thought I'd go and have a chat with him. I feel God calling me to have a chat with him. What would the response be? Are you mad? What about me? What about the kids? Why are you drawing attention to us? What if, what could happen? Also, how long did it take him to get, him, to get there? Was it a five-minute walk, or did he have an hour to think about what he was going to do? 
Were there distractions on the way? At any point do you think, this is a really bad idea, this. People are going to say, when I get arrested, people are going to say to me, what on earth were you thinking? What on earth were you doing? You've got to be sensible. You've got to take precautions. But he didn't. He acted in faith and obedience, and he believed that what God had said to him overrode all those doubts and fears and what people would say. We've been looking at this statement quite a bit at church. It's a statement that we have that we hope describes who we are. And it says, we are a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment that we are in so that we can be good news to all those around us. To me, it kind of describes a bit of what Ananias was going through there. We know he was a disciple of Jesus. We know he was alert to God's leading because when God called, he answered, yes, Lord. He was paying attention to what was going on because he knew that Saul was there. But he was still determined to be the good news. And that's what we want to be as church, as a community. We want to be people that are following Jesus in the midst of our life, in the midst of circumstances, when we're busy, when there's stresses and then when there's strains, when there's things that sort of pinch us and cause us to, what could cause us to back off. We want to be people that are alert to God's leading at those times, paying careful attention to it so that we are the good news to the city and the areas that we've been called to. And so I was thinking about this, I've been thinking about it for a while as we've had that statement. I was thinking, well, what can I do then to make sure that I'm the good news to those around? And so I spent a bit of time thinking, where's God placed me, work and, and, and church and all those things. And then I took it right down to, where do I live? I live at 12 Watkin Avenue in Glossop, Derbyshire. A very unremarkable street, a little cul-de-sac that we live in. That's where I live and that's where God's placed me. And so we started thinking, how could we pay attention to the moment we're in? How can we be good news to the people around us? If we believe that God has placed us there, what does God want us to do? And so we decided that we would throw a street party to get to know all our neighbours, to pay attention, to find out what's going on with them. And so obviously we roped in another couple just because of safety in numbers. And we set the date for the 10th of August. And so I went round every house in the close, knocked on and said, we're going to have a street party. It wasn't an overwhelming response, I've got to be honest with you. Most of them said, oh, you are, are you? As if, am I going to get my car out when you put all your stuff in the street? Some, some were a bit keener than others. And anyway, but we were thinking, nope, this is what we're going to do. So five o'clock last Saturday was our street party. At 4.30 when I was lighting the barbecue, and I had to light the barbecue in the garage because it was raining so hard, I started to get a bit nervous. And I'm thinking, what if we put all our stuff in our big, the big circle outside our house and there's just me and Claire sat in the rain eating a soggy burger with everybody else giggling at all the hours? Because that's what I'd have done, quite frankly. <laughs> but at quarter to five, we set out our chairs and tables and a fire pit and all that type of stuff. And by five o'clock, so there was someone from every single house in our street. There's about 25 of us in total. And we sat and we chatted and we had a drink, and we had um, barbecue, and we talked, and we started to really get to know our neighbours. I had another moment without about half past 11, when quite a few of them had drunk way, way more than they should. <laughs> We'd had to carry one lady back into a house. 
We shut the door and Claire said, so should someone go and check on her? And we looked in the front room and we could see one leg sticking through the hall door. So we had to go into the house and put her on the sofa. The music's now getting louder. Come on, Eileen, it can be heard all over our estate. And we've got a bunch of nutters dancing with inflatable guitars in the middle of the street. You think, oh Lord, what have we done? The police are going to turn up. But it all finished. And the next day, when the dust settled and Claire and I were talking, I said, did it work? Was it good? Everyone had a good time. And um, we found out that one of our neighbours is really struggling because her daughter's marriage broke up a few weeks ago. Another lady, single mom, has lost her job and been made redundant after 20 years and is struggling to cope. Someone else said, you go, out, you go out the house really early every Sunday morning. Why do you do that? So we go to church. Oh, I used to go to church, but it's rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> but all of a sudden, we've got all these points of contact with our neighbours that we never had before. We're paying attention to the moment that we're in and we're finding out what's going on. Because how can we talk to them if we don't even know what's going on? And it was a great success, apart from I melted the road where the fire pit was, but <laughs> I'm going with collective responsibility because we're all there, and most of them were so drunk they have no idea anyway, so we're keeping our heads down. But there we are, sat outside with our fire pit. That road's a bit melted now. But what else can we do? Just a really, really simple, basic thing that put us alongside people. Well, last week, as Ian said, we heard about all these guys coming back from Cricketh, and it was brilliant to hear all you guys talking. Everyone who got up and spoke, and everyone else who took part, it was absolutely brilliant. And as I talk to you guys, and my boys as well, the thing that they all seem to love so much is being there together, being there with everybody, the sense of community. We got told that no one got bullied, nobody got left behind, everybody was included, just how great it was. But the thing is, that was there... And now you're here. I don't want to bring you down, but now you're here. And here is never going to be the same as there because that's the bubble and that's camp and it's great. The question is, though, what does there, how does there impact here? That culture that you guys created, that Andrew and Alex and all the leaders, but you guys as well created, that culture where everyone was cared for and loved and valued, that you guys love so much, can you bring some of that? to your school, to your friends, to your neighbourhood, to your football team. Neil talked a few weeks ago about culture. If you remember, he talked about we only have to make a one-degree change, and actually, as we go on, it makes a massive impact. What impact can you make? What from there can you bring to here and impact your community? Because that's about paying attention to the moment we're in. It's about being the good news. How great would it be if just 1%, one percent, one tiny percent of that attitude and culture took place in your school and your college and your community and people weren't bullied and people weren't left behind and everybody was included because if that doesn't affect here that has limited value it's brilliant and it's great and I love it because I go on order for two weeks when you go but it's brilliant but it has to have more than the effect of just ten days on a field in Crickieth and what about for the rest of us? Well, we all went away on our camp about a year ago, was it? The church weekend away. And we sat down and we talked about how could we be atten- pay attention to the moment we're in? How can we be good news? And we talked about the fact that on Sundays we'd release people to go and do a missional group on a Sunday. And we wrote down all the sort of things that we enjoy doing. What are your hobbies? What are your passions? What are you good at? 
And we said, well, can we maybe find two or three other people that are of the same mindset? And can you go and do that activity, hobby, whatever it is, alongside people who don't know Jesus? One of the interesting things about the Ananias story is all Ananias physically had to go. If you were just observing from a distance, all Ananias had to do was walk down a road and go into a house. Now, I reckon, and it's a big jump, but I reckon Ananias had been doing that all his life. Ananias knew how to do that, but he did it with intent to be the good news. He did the same thing he always did, but he did it with an intent, believing that God would make up the difference. The missional Sundays, the missional groups that we do, is an opportunity for you to do something that you love, that you're passionate about, but to do it with intent to reach people. We all thought of great things we could do when we were on the church weekend, and we can all think of things now. And I can think of things that I would like to do, and as I think it would be really good, and then I think, I am a bit busy though. Or what if I do it and it really doesn't work? What will people say when I do it, or what will people do? It's not really the right time, to be honest. I'll let someone else do another group and that'll be okay. But God has a plan for you and me. It's a plan to be fulfilled today, tomorrow, the next day, regardless of how busy we are, regardless of the stress and strains. And actually, sometimes God plans it to happen right in the midst of a circumstance or situation. We have to apply faith and obedience. When we think about how busy we are, or we think about what people could say, or we think about all the what-ifs, we have to apply faith and obedience. We have to believe that what God says and what God does and God's plans trump everything. We have to act in faith and obedience because unless we act in faith and obedience, we can never be the growing community of whole life disciples, alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another in the moment that we're in. And we will never be the good news unless we're prepared to act in faith and obedience. Thank you for listening. Pass back to you. Thanks, Steve. That's great, mate. As Cameron said, what do I usually say, Cameron? Encouraging and challenging. It was both of those things and more. Um, sometimes we... Um, we ask you what you're thinking, and I thought today would be a good time to do that. So, what's going through your mind? What are your, what are your initial responses to what Steve said? Anybody got any thoughts? Yes, Nev. Thank you for starting us off. Okay. It's something that we're considering doing ourselves, uh, probably more longer than me, because I'm scared any by mad, but... Um, when we moved into our house, we didn't really get much contact with our neighbours. And, and uh, I thought, well, we need to do something to try and make that contact. So that was very encouraging, Steve. Thank you. I'll uh, pick up on that. Yeah, and actually, in one sense, it, was, it took a bit of organising and took quite a lot of confidence. But in another sense, it's quite an easy thing to do, isn't it? Um, it but... Why do we not do it? I did the same. Somebody moved into our street, and I, the thought came through my head was, why don't we just go and offer just to say hello? And you keep putting it off, and you think, oh, no, it'll just be a bit weird, and oh, no, they look like they're busy. And then before you know it, three, four weeks have gone, and you now look rude because they've seen you in the, they've seen you in the front garden, and you've never said hello to them. Um, yeah, who else? Anybody else? Yes, Muna. 
I think it was quite challenging because, like, I live in Salford and I work in Bolson, and most of our patients in podiatry are, like, old. And when they ask, where do you live? And I say, Salford. And they're like, oh, are you safe there? And things like that. And I say, I always say to me, I spend more time in Bolton because that's where I spend my day. So I just go back home to sleep, to, to sleep and it really doesn't bother me. And I've not really made an effort. So it's a challenge. Thanks, Mina. Thanks for being so honest. Who else? Anyone else? Thank you. Um, just, I mean, everything that Steve said is absolutely spot on and it's a real encouragement. But there's a but, and the but is you have to sometimes be prepared for rejection. And that's hard. And it happened to me once when I, uh, surprise, surprise, interfered in somebody's row. <laughs> and um, these, this was a couple in the neighbourhood and they were troubled... And there was a child involved, and I was walking around, and the girl in the, in, in the relationship was shouting, uh, but I haven't got any money, I haven't got any money, I've not eaten three t for three days. So I carried on walking, and then bumped into her again, and just said, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? So she was very appreciative. And the little girl was with her, and I thought, well, that's, yeah, I've done all right there. I'll stand up, because I've got a new skirt on today. <laughs> um, bargain. Um, so I carried on walking, maybe another half mile, and I saw the partner. And I, I knew they were, they'd started off together. I knew that this was Steve that she'd been shouting for money, for food. And I said, oh, um, I've, just ha I've just been, if you're looking for her, uh, your partner's sitting on a bench outside Greg's and uh, she's a little bit upset. I, he, like a scary guy, this. So he just took one look at me. He said, I'm going to moderate this. Uh, and uh, what the has it got to do with you? And I just felt so, I thought he's right, yeah. I felt so deflated and off he went. And um, I struggled with that feeling of rejection and I it so easily could have decided, right, I'm not doing that again, because he's right. I, now to do with me, typical of you, interfering. But I meant well, I meant well for the girl, I meant well, that she would get some food, that he would go and comfort her. It, it ended badly, but I, it just reminded me that, you know, we're called to carry our cross daily, and that often involves rejection, and we're only experiencing what Jesus experienced also on a daily basis. We have to sometimes deal with the rejection, knowing that if our intention... You mentioned intent, Steve. If our heart's in the right place and we are trying to, to serve God, then he will honour us. Okay? Yeah, thanks, Annie. Yeah, we don't always know the end result, do we? And, and it's the same with anything if you try and speak to Jesus about. You, you can't guarantee that they're going to respond in a positive way, but that doesn't mean that's not still your responsibility to share. And, um, yeah, I was thinking as well, how those moments, like we might not always hear 
God's voice in the way of an audible, audible voice, which is sometimes we'd love to do that. And some of us, I know in this room, have heard God's voice in that way. But it's very, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, oh, must, everybody must have heard God like that all the time. And actually, most of these stories are, are based over many, many years of the church. And they're just single, singular stories of very particular moments when God wants very, you to do a particular thing. Most of the time, God's plan is just to do what you know is, is right, to try and, try and to live like Jesus, just be, be good news to people, do your work as best, as well as you can. You know, that's God's, real, that's God's plan, but sometimes he gives you specific words, doesn't he? And um, it's funny, Neil introduced me to this YouTube guy called Brooksy, and it's called Brooksy's. If you're ever interested in any, any topics you're not quite sure about, you're thinking of, I'm not quite sure about what the Bible says about this, Brooksy's bag of questions, and he was talking about how God guides people. And so many, so often, and I was like this in my twenties, where I was like, God, I just don't know what you want me to do in my life, and I just need you to give me a sign somehow to to tell me what I should do. And I spent like years of wasting time thinking, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And Brooksy said, if you're a father or a parent and you wanted your child to do something specific, would you wait and not tell them and just say, mm, I'm not going to tell you what I want you to do. I want you to guess. I'm going to hang around for a bit. I'll be downstairs. And if, I'm gonna, if you guess and you get it wrong, I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to wait. And if it's too late, you've missed the boat. Which father or parent would do that with their children? Nobody would do that, would they? And God's the same with us. God's, if God wants you to do something specific, he'll tell you. <laughs> he'll make it clear to you. So that experience with you. And for me, it comes in a prompting sometimes, a thought. And it's like, and it's sometimes it's, it's so left field that I think there's no way that naturally I would have thought of doing that. It happened to me a few weeks ago when um, some, I felt that I should, I should message somebody that would not been getting on very well. And I thought, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to face rejection. And, but I was, the, the sense was so strong that it must have been God. And so I did it. And in this case, it actually it worked out okay. And then the next time, it was, I, felt, I felt for the same person, God was saying it again. Um, do this. And I thought, I can't do that. That's, that's going to be so awkward. And that's just not. But I knew it was God because it would never be something I would, <laughs> I would choose to do. And sometimes it just comes in those little impulses, those little responses and I know that there's times when I've ignored that and I've regretted it afterwards because I thought, actually, could have made a difference there. And it was just through fear. Um, so if God wants you to do something specific, he will prompt you. It might not be in an audible voice, but it could be just in that impression you get. Sometimes I get it in dreams as well. Sometimes I get a dream about somebody completely randomly. And I think, why has that person come to my mind? And I've learned just to contact that person, to say, just wondering if everything's all right. Because I've missed it a couple of times where I've had a dream about somebody and... I've, they've been under a, in a really difficult position and I've not contacted them. And it was like God was saying to you, just contact that person. Um, anyway, anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. All right, we'll call the band back, uh, back up. Thank you, Steve. That was great. We're going to respond um, with some songs of worship. We're going to respond with communion as well. And uh, if you're new to this church, we do this most weeks. And uh, we just line up through, through the middle here and somebody will serve you bread and wine. And we do it because it's not a magic formula or something we have to do. But we do it because it reminds us of, uh, of what God has done for us. And in that passage that Steve read to us, Saul was a guy who was so aggressively against the church he was kill he presided over the first martyr of the church Stephen who was stoned to death and Saul's there saying yep good work guys let's keep going let's have some more and 
Jesus met him and he, and he, in, a, in, in this vision, didn't he? And he says, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, I don't know who you are. How, am I, how can I be persecuting you? And he says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And uh, we come back to the cross again. We realize if, if, if Paul can be forgiven, Saul, a terrorist against the church, a man who killed Christians and brought them to prison for fun and thought he was doing God's work. You imagine there's groups like that in the world now, isn't there? You think of people like ISIS and others, and we have such venom towards them because of the horrendous things they've done. And they think they're doing it in the name of God, even worse. Well, Paul was the same. Paul did exactly those things. And Jesus, Jesus spoke to him, didn't he? He said, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to make you. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. I'm going to call you into a special relationship with me. In fact, you're going to be one of the founders of the church. We're going to make the biggest difference to Christianity in the whole of the church, didn't he? Other than Jesus. So we come back to the cross again and we see the, the amazing, scandalous love of God. Absolute scandalous love of God. Completely undeserved, but that's what we, what we believe is true for, for Paul and for us. So come and receive the bread and wine when you're ready. And we're going to sing a, a song that was introduced last week that, that had been quite, um, used quite a lot in camp called Crowns. <laughs>